Hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the foundation stone on which we build, and we trust in you. Teach us, please, by your holy word today, through these sayings, through these psalms, through the writings of the prophet Isaiah. But most of all, remind us of your greatness and and recenter our lives on you. You are the source. You are light and life. And in your face, we see life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Welcome, everyone. It feels so different today for some reason. I'm not exactly sure why. Uh, Yes, there's still COVID. Yes, our nation is still further and further divided with itself. Yes, we're still reckoning with racial injustice from past generations. Um, All of those very heavy things still sit upon us, and and yet there's just something that feels different tonight. So I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you're participating with us online as you're watching this video. Um, I, I don't know if you noticed, but all the lessons come at one immediate point tonight. It's not often that that happens, but tonight it certainly happens. You've got the prophet Isaiah writing some seven centuries before Christ. You've got this psalm probably composed around the time of the exile, okay? So the Israel's in Babylon, they're in captivity, etc. Jerusalem has been laid waste, probably composed after that has happened. And then you've got Jesus telling a parable that's almost, I mean, it's it's like a very on-the-nose retelling of Isaiah 5 to the Pharisees and the scribes and the leaders of Israel who should know better, who should know Isaiah 5. So really what we see is this peculiar moment where Jesus is giving kind of a final declaration that you Jewish people who have killed the prophets, who have beaten, stoned, and killed the messengers of the landowner, those are the prophets, the kingdom is going to be taken from you and given to a nation, or shall we say nations, because that that just simply means the Gentiles, the people who will 
believe, the people who will receive the word of God and it won't be choked out by the cares of this life. It won't be stolen by the enemy. It won't fall on hard soil, but it will fall on fertile soil of the heart. And they will do what? They will render fruits to the landowner. In other words, the fruit of God's word would be sprung forth not just by these Jewish people who had proven themselves unfaithful, not all of them, mind you, because remember, all the disciples, these are, these are simple Jewish people, but the vast majority had rejected Jesus. And each of our lessons have been about this the past several weeks. Chris focused on this idea of repentance last week. And Jesus, is, he's not coming to them, calling them out. He's not tweeting at them and saying, listen, bro, he's giving them an opportunity to come. He's leaning into the door of their hearts. I have this wonderful icon in, in my office on my desk. It's right in front of where I sit. And it's Jesus, and he's knocking on this door, and there's no door handle on the outside. You know, make of that what you will with deep theological conversations later. But I love, I love how the icon is written, how Jesus is leaning into this person's life. He's leaning into us. And we see that here, even though he has very difficult and perhaps harsh words. We don't speak like this today. It's not common for people to speak so directly in our day, is it? But Jesus is very direct. Have you not read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. I am that stone, says the subtext. Therefore, the kingdom will be taken from you and given to another people. And we notice that the Jewish people have the answer. They do this time and again in these situations. This is just before the triumphal entry. This is just bef before the Olivet Discourse. So he's in the temple precincts. He's teaching around. He's in Jerusalem. It's about to get super dicey. He's about to be crucified. So he's giving them time and time again, and he's inviting these questions and answers from the Pharisees, and the Pharisees continue to convict themselves. He says, what should the landowner do? What should he do with these wicked, unfaithful tenants? And the, the Pharisees say, well, he, he should destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard out to another tenant who will render him fruits in their season. And in a, a moment of really sad irony, Jesus says, and so that's what will happen. But I want to come at this moment this very much a watershed moment from the view of the psalm. Turn to page five and six in your bulletin, if you will. I don't know if you know this, but the psalms are organized. You know, they're all composed at different times, and the 150 psalms are organized in five different books. And the five different books kind of follow, they mirror uh, the story of Israel. And so when you get up to the 80s, I think it's like 73 to 89 you are in the vicinity of exile. You're hearing the people of Israel cry out desperately for a rescuer. And what do we see in Psalm 80? Look at verse 7. Verse 7 and, and the last verse, verse 19, are the exact same. Restore us again, O God of hosts. Show the light of your countenance and we shall be whole. In other words, this is a people calling out for rescue. What is salvation? Think about that for a minute. And don't answer how you think, and you don't have to say anything aloud, but, but don't think, well, what would Jay want me to say? 
Because if you're like me, then that's what you do. It's like Andy Bernard. How is he going to get ahead when he transfers to Scranton? Never breaking off a handshake, personality mirroring, etc. Don't do that. What is salvation? It's rescue from death. It's rescue from the fate that was brought on by Adam and Eve's poor choice. God said, abstain from this one thing. And they obeyed the lusts of their flesh instead of God. And so then death comes in and this curse comes in. And so salvation is us being rescued from death. Salvation is us having union with God Almighty. Think about that for a minute. The one that says the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and it's a stone that all who fall on it will be crushed, and if it falls on anyone, it will destroy them. That's the God that we're meant to have union with. That's salvation. That's a little terrifying. God is not a pet that we put in a cage and we feed him little pellets of food or that we come to this room and say, oh, we love God, and then we think of the thing that we think of God as. God is the creator of all that we see and cannot see, the Nicene Creed says. God is the one who out of nothing, as, as there was chaos in the waters, Genesis says, and the spirit brooded over, God said, let there be light. God is beyond our comprehension, friends. And yet, his son, his only begotten son, his only begotten word, his eternal word, is leaning in to the people of Israel. He's leaning into our hearts tonight. And so here, the people of Israel experiencing exile, experiencing the ruin of Jerusalem, the holy city, the vine that God had set up, he allowed the hedge to be plowed down and boars came in and plucked out all of its grapes and it became a laughingstock. And so the people of Israel in Psalm 80 cry out together, restore us, O God of hosts. God of hosts means God of the armies of Israel. Yahweh Shabbat. Restore us, O God, of the armies of Israel. Help us. Where were the armies of Israel when our holy city was destroyed? And yet the prophets had come before to say, people of Israel, you've been an unfaithful wife. People of Israel, you have committed adultery with false gods. People of Israel, you have sacrificed your own children to false gods. People of Israel, Repent, turn away from something and turn towards Almighty God. And so they say, show us the light of your countenance and we shall be whole. We shall be whole. We are a disintegrated people, I'm afraid to say. Whether we think of our own technology or we think about how we live, or we think about just the world in general, we're disintegrated. Not we're like, you know, collapsing, but we're not integrated as we could be. We've forgotten what it means to be just human, body, mind, and spirit. 
We've forgotten some of these essential and core rhythms. And so the church, this nation that God has given the vineyard to, invites us into rhythms that help us see what it looks like to be human again. Show us the light of your countenance and we shall be whole, we shall be solid. And so then the people, tell, people of Israel in Psalm 80, page 5 on your bulletin, retell a little bit of the story of Israel. I just finished the book of Genesis and what an amazing saga from the creation of the world. And then you have Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph's whole story. And the, the very end of the book of, of Genesis kind of makes you cry because Israel, 75 persons in all, I believe, they're all in Egypt. And Joseph's like second in command and everything's great. And we know what happens next, don't we? That they have to be delivered. And so the people of Israel are reminding God, there was a vine in Egypt that you planted there on purpose, oh God. You brought it out of Egypt. You've cast out the nations. So the, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Perizzites, the Amorites, all these nations that God said their, their time for judgment had come. And so God used the people of Israel to perform that judgment. And the people of Israel, after the Exodus, come back into the land. And so we see this vine flourishing in the following verses. It stretched out its branches to the sea. It's like the cedars of Lebanon. It's beyond anything to compare. This Israel was glorious. But why, in verse 12, have you broken down its hedge so that all who go by pluck off its grapes, even the wild boar out of the wood roots it up. There's nothing worse for a Jewish person to have something holy and sacred, something clean to be destroyed by something that's not holy and profane and unclean like a wild boar. The people of Israel in verse 16 on the next page, they call for God's vengeance on those who've destroyed Israel. Verse 16, as for those who burn it with fire and cut it down, let them perish at the rebuke of your countenance. Okay, we heard countenance before, didn't we? Restore us, O God of hosts. Let the light of your face, of your countenance, shine upon us and we shall be whole. So there's something about the people of God that when they see the face of God, they can be whole. There's something about this faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But the enemies of God... When they see the countenance of God, at least according to this impeccatory prayer, says what? They'll be destroyed, disintegrated, crushed to powder. It's not so much an us against them as it is God's people crying out for God's justice. Hmm. And that is something we need desperately right now, is God's people crying out for God's justice. And then in verse 17, look at what Israel cries out for. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand and upon the son of man whom you made so strong for yourself. Obviously, a clear prophecy to Christ, a clear reference to the son of man, the man of God's right hand. The Lord said to my Lord, sit on my throne until I make your enemies a footstool to your feet. Deliver us, O God. Strengthen the one that you've sent to save us. Save us, O God. 
And so now Israel in this prayer in Psalm 80, in this moment of repentance, they realize, and so we will not turn back from you. We're turning back towards you, O God. Let us live and we shall call upon your name. And then they finish just as they began with this refrain. Restore us again, O Lord, a God of hosts. Show the light of your countenance and we shall be whole. Now, that psalm looks backward to Isaiah 5, but it also looks forward to the words of Christ. And so for us today, as we see the people of Israel having the kingdom taken from them, in a sense, doesn't mean that all Jewish people were expelled from the kingdom of God. It meant that those who would not believe in Christ, those who did not have the faith of Abraham, don't forget Hebrews 11. Those who did not see the kingdom coming that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob saw. Those who were living for a life in a city yet to come. Because these particular people in Jesus' day would take the son and kill him, the kingdom would be taken from them. And so for us today, we can see that Christ is either the foundation on which we build our lives. He's the rock to which we run to cling to. He's the rock from which water pours forth to slake our thirst in the wilderness of our temptation and trial. He's either the foundation on which we build our lives and the rock of our salvation, or he is the stone that crushes us. Why? If we receive him and we continue in confession and repentance, this, this is what being baptized means. To be baptized means that you, you consistently turn away from the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, and you return to God. How often? Oh, guys, how seductive, how subtle, how quiet the voice of the world, the flesh, and the devil creeps into our life. And before we know it, we are attached. We're latched on. And until we look to the man of God's right hand, to the God of our salvation until we remember Christ on the cross. We realize, oh my, we've been duped again. But Christ leans into us, into the door of our hearts, and we remember that we've built our lives on this foundation stone. And so if we remember him and receive him and continue in confession and repentance in this rhythm of baptism, if we continue to behold and become that great vision of this great church, St. Bart's, if we're continually fed by the Eucharist, we're more solid. We're more whole. Make us whole. In fact, we become more holy, more fully human. This is why Christians have welcomed suffering, have welcomed trial, have even taken on suffering and trial through asceticism and practices such as fasting and prayer and, and charitable giving. 
Because we believe, as what St. Paul said, that these small and minor troubles are doing what? They're annoying the crud out of us? No. They're achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that is far greater. And that weight of glory is based on the weight of the stone that the builders rejected. So friends today, part of the nation of the church, which consists of all nations of people, remember Christ, the foundation stone of your rescue and your salvation. Remember that others have rejected him and you have been welcomed in. And remember your baptism and be thankful. And remember that he feeds you with his body and his blood. And remember in this time, in the time of an election, in the time of a pandemic, in the time of racial injustice, remember that Christ is our Savior, that Christ has spoken his word into us and has allowed us to bear fruit on his behalf. Let us pray. Forgive us for being so forgetful, just like the people of Israel, O oh God. And like them, we say to you, restore us again, O Lord God of hosts, O God of the armies of Israel, God of the armies of heaven, show the light of your countenance and we shall be whole. We pray that we would be whole so that we can tread further up and further in into the high countries with you, O God, maker of heaven and earth. For that is where our help comes from. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.